at you guys back in your regular places already. That's fun. How many of you guys I, I enjoy the change of dynamic when we move the stage around? How many of you guys like that? Let me see your hand. You like it? How many of you guys are glad it's back the way it was? How many of you guys wish we'd just make up our minds? That's called neuron pass. We're just steady on the brain, and uh, it's all in there. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. We are going to get right in the Word this morning as quickly as we can. Uh, I do want to remind you, if you're here, this is kind of like new to you. This is your new, you're visiting today, you've been around for a while, you want to take a further step into kind of getting to know the place and the people. I understand this, guys. We're a friendly church. How many guys believe that? We are. But, but after a certain number of weeks, a friendly church will pale in comparison to just making one friend. And so we have to transition that, and that requires a different environment. So that environment right back there, it says guest room, great big sign on the back. Right after service, Pastor Josh and others will be back there. And if you'd like to come back and hang out and kind of say, hey, tell me more about Freedom Center, like uh, Pastor Josh was raised here. He was just a puppy when we came to Fenton. He knows more about it than I do because he's forgotten less. We all have the same thing, so... Anyway, good morning, live stream. Good morning, Grand Blank Campus, Pastor Jim, and uh, all those guys out there. Today is part three of the series called The Way of Jesus. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 says this. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside, and he sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. Now, the best way for me to explain to you what's about to happen as far as what the world is and what the world was. What was about to happen was going to be literally a humanity-shifting event. Jesus, the Son of God, was about to teach the kingdom of God in a, in a relevant, understandable, uh, common language that would literally alter the understanding of reality from that day forward. And probably the, the best way for me to describe to you what this is like is, is you may not notice it now, but I, I still have a hard time seeing. But I, this eye has issues. This eye is blind. So right now, what I can see is from about from my hand up, I can see like I was wearing swimming goggles, like a little goggle, and there was water filled up to about there. And then from there, it's like someone was eating Kentucky Fried Chicken and did this to the lens. So that's, how many of you guys are like, glad you're not me, say amen. If you raise your hand, I wouldn't see it. So just say amen, and I'll, I'll, I'll feel a sense of pity. That's good for my soul. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Um, but this is what I'm learning. This, this is really weird. Like, it looks like from, from here down, like it's underwater, but that's actually not true. What's happening in my eye is that they inserted a gas bubble to hold the, the damaged and repaired part together. I was in a face-down position for three days, and the, the lightness of that gas pressed against my retina, macula, and optic nerve to hold all those things in place while it healed. Um, and now the gas bubble is dissipating. But here's the weird part. They said that wasn't weird enough. They dug into my eye. Think about that. Here's the weird part. Um, I liked it. No, that's not the weird part. Here's the weird part. The, the weird part is that what I'm seeing from here up is actually where the fluid has filled the eye. So the, the, the fluid in my eye actually carries light, transmits light differently than the gas bubble in my eye. So what I'm seeing from here down is actually the gas bubble. What I'm seeing here up is, is, the, is the light. Now you say, how is that possible? If the gas is lighter than, than the fluid in your eye, why would you not see just the opposite? You should see down here. And this is, this is why. Check this out. Isn't God smart? First of all, he created stick figures. But second of all, look at this. To get the, to get the scope of vision that we get, all that light comes through a cornea, that round outer thing, the iris, that part of your um, uh, eye that has the color on it, and then the pupil, that opening that opens and closes, dilates and, con and constricts, and allows light to that, that blue, weird football like for the guys, girls, the 
corn muffin, I don't know what that is to a girl, but to a guy that with the football thing, that's the lens. And what it does is it takes all that light and it, and it somehow, because it's concave, convexed, it grabs it and it focuses it towards the back of the eye and then comes out again. So your eye gets to see the whole picture. Does that make sense? You guys, how many of you guys hated biology and you still hate it and I'm not helping? All right, good. That's what God created math for people just like you. But understand that when it comes through that, that lens, it inverts the image. So everything that hits the back of your eye, the retina, the macula, the cones, the rods, all that stuff, the 100 million optic nerves that were separate from the 100 million optic nerve receptors in your brain when you were conceived, and somehow 100 million connections found each other, somehow they connected to exactly the right one so that you can see. It takes photonic energy, it turns into electronic impulse and chemical reactions that goes into your brain that allows you to see. How many guys think that evolution's a wonderful thing? I'm sorry, I, that was mean, but just silly, right? So look at the brilliance of what God created and understand the reality around us. So why is it then that we get to see right side up when what's projected in the back of our eye is upside down? This is why. You ready? Because the brain figures it out. Like God created the brain to take the upside down image and turn it so that you can see it right with your brain. What you're actually seeing, what's actually coming to your brain is being interpreted by your brain to actually invert it so that it's right side up. Isn't that just wild? Isn't that crazy? Isn't that like make evolution impossible? That's not the, the topic, but just how would any of those little things create something that actually created sight the way that we understand it? It's amazing to me. So I'm saying this because of this. Matthew chapters 5 through 7 are what's called the Beatitudes. And what Jesus is going to do in the Sermon on the Mount, the opening part being the Beatitudes, he's about to take everything that's coming at us that's upside down, and by teaching us, everybody say teaching, what is real, what is true, what side is really up, what side is really down, he's going to take most of what we understand and go, you're seeing it wrong. Let me ask you this. You ever been in a position where what God said is different than what you think? Which one do you think is going to change? So you can say, I don't want to see it the way God sees it, but in the end, what, the way that God sees it is actually the right way, even though I don't see it that way. I get that. But did you know if you took upside-down goggles, had these goggles where you can actually like, invert everything, it just does that again, and, it, and you'll see it upside-down, that in five days, four to seven days, five days on average, that, that person who puts on the upside-down glasses, the brain will actually invert the image so you see it as if it's right? That, I mean, isn't that amazing? And in the same way, guys, we have to take the reality of what we see, hear me, the reality of what we feel, the reality of what we know, the philosophies, the religions of this world, and we have to understand that what Jesus said, even though what Jesus says is very different than what we may see, it's Jesus' way of saying, let's see it the right way. And we're going to talk about that in the Beatitudes today. Here, here's one of the coolest things I've seen in a long time. What does that word say? Watch, watch, watch. You ready? Watch this. Isn't that fun? How many of you guys want to get a tattoo? When you saw it, just like, put that on my forehead when I'm upside down, right? Let me, let me just do it again, just, just for fun, right? What do you see? Can you see life by looking at it? You can't. It isn't until you turn it upside down that you clearly see the word life. The same thing, this is what Jesus is about to do with us. Hear me. This is the same thing the Holy Spirit's about to do with us right here, right now. When we see the world as Jesus says it is, it will look differently than what we see. What I see is what I see. It's clearly, it says it. And Jesus goes, well, do you really see it? Because that is reality. That is what it is. Now, when Jesus starts teaching in Matthew chapter 5, you've got to understand, this is really early on in his ministry. He's only called four of his 12 disciples. Matthew, the writer of this book, is not called until chapter 9. 
He, he's hearing the story, and he's writing down what appears to be a very condensed and dense version. I don't know if the Sermon on the Mount actually lasted eight minutes. That's about how long it takes me to read those three chapters. If it did, how many of you guys have ever been in like a room where somebody's so smart, they start talking, and you're like, man, I can't write fast enough? You ever been there? Probably not here. But other places you've been there, like that is so profound. How do, how do I get that? And this is, the, this is what happens. I think what Matthew does, he took all these, these messages, these thoughts, these concerns, these teachings on the way life really is. And he said, it's, it's just like this. He said it so densely. So this is the 101. I want you to know this. This is the freshman year of following Jesus. This is reality. Eternal, God perspective, never going to change. Doesn't matter who's in the White House. Doesn't matter if you're in the outhouse. Doesn't matter what house or you know, shed or whatever. Everything is, is skewed to our seeing. And Jesus is about to turn it right set up. And this is what he says. He starts with this. Hear me. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's where he starts. Those who are poor, man, you're happy. I I don't get that. Let me just break it down. Blessed. The word blessed means to be happy, prosperous, full, and content. How many guys that are hoping like Thursday when you put on your special Thanksgiving stretchy pants and you sit down on the comfortable chair after kind of like everything's kind of ended and you got that third piece of pie, you're wondering maybe it's a good idea, maybe it's a bad idea. The lions are down by 43 in the first quarter, right? But there's that sense of, right? There's that sense of like happy, prosperous, blessed, full, content are you when you're poor. This word means beggar, impoverished. Living in lack, living without. Blessed are the poor in spirit. The word spirit is the word pneuma. means breath, wind, Holy Spirit, or spirit. In other words, the God-given essence of a person, that which is behind the emotions that one feels. So blessed and happy are you when you're beggar, impoverished in your spirit, that part of you that connects with God, because yours is the domain of God, the kingdom, the, the domain of the king, the kingdom of God is yours. Now, how many guys don't feel any closer to understanding what Jesus is talking about by looking at the words? I'll be really honest with you. I did the word study. I'm like, okay, that's still mud. I really don't know what that means. And, and this is why. I've seen it this way my whole life. And Jesus goes, it's not that way, it's this way. I'm like, I, I don't see it that way. Blessed are you when you're a beggar in spirit because that's what God's people are made of. I'm like, well, that, that doesn't make any sense to me because I, I think that the joy of the Lord is my strength. I, I feel like that I delight myself in the Lord and he grants me the desires of my heart. I, I'm, I'm the head, not the tail. I'm prosperous and not a beggar. And Jesus goes, no, you're really happy when you're a beggar. And I go, I, I don't get it. So Eugene Peterson, a, a great linguist, and a great translator of, of a version of the Bible. It's a one man's transliteration. It's not word for word. It's thought for thought. And it's one man. So we don't use it all the time. But often when I find myself in a kind of a weird, I don't quite understand what the author is saying, I like to go to Peterson because he's smarter than I am. And he wrote it in comic book form. Literally, it's like seventh grade English. This way he translates that scripture. It says, you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. And then he explains why. With less of you, there's more of God and his rule. With less of you, there's more of God and Israel. Does this make sense now? So in other words, when, when we find ourselves in a place of need, a need that is so great that only God can meet it. I, I don't mean like just finances or just health. I, don't, I just mean in every way, any way. When we find ourselves in a place where only God can bail me out, where only God can, can fix the broken pieces, where only God can make this work, where only God. I'm not looking for other things now. I'm looking for God. 
And Jesus says, when you come to the place where all you're looking for is him, you will find a contentment in him, a fullness in him, a prosperity in him that will make all the other stuff you thought you saw not worth looking at. Here's my kind of take on it is what really makes a whole a person whole, happy, prosperous is when their lives have a, a conscious lack that only God can fill. I expect it to be quiet, but I... I I, I hope that that quiet doesn't mean I didn't get it. I hope it means I think I might have. And I want you to hear me. Um, Jesus is taking all forms of godless happiness, godless fullness, godless prosperity, and this false thing called the contentment because I have more than you, and he's turning it upside down. He's saying if you really want to know how to be blessed, it starts with needing me. It starts with knowing me. It starts with seeking me. It starts with delighting yourself in me. It starts with me being the prize, me being the destination, me being the one. Unless we have God and as much of him as, as we can, we have nothing. Those who walk in a conscious need for God are happy. That's what he's saying. Are, are, are you getting this? I got one yes and a bunch of dull stares. I think, remember, I can't see. So if you're nodded your head, it wouldn't mean anything to me. Um... I'm standing up closer because for some reason that's easier. Yeah. Oh, there you are. Hi. Wow, the room's actually pretty full. It's going to be a larger congregation next week. Even with the same number of people, there's going to be a larger congregation next week. That was a fat joke. I'm sorry. That was just me. Yeah. The acoustics will be better next week, I promise you, though. I'm, I'm trying to do something that I think is impossible, so... Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would teach us what Jesus is talking about. You're the one who told him to say that, and he said it, and our hearts 2,000 years later are trying to understand, and I, I pray you'd help us. Fill in the blanks where we can't see. Turn right side up what is upside down, and has been for our whole life. Help us to see now, God, we pray. Amen. I, and I, let me just come back to this thought, that, that as we see the world coming at us, it seems like prosperity is prosperity. Jesus goes, no, listen, there is no prosperity without me. And, and how do you find me? If you've ever been on a third world, how many of you have ever been on a third world missions trip? You, and this could be to the inner city of uh, America. This could be West Virginia, uh, most of the state. This could be um, uh, Haiti or, or other places we've been. When, when you go there, have you, ever, have you ever gone amongst the poor that were rich in faith? Have you ever done that? And you come back and you ask the one question. And that one question is this. Who's really poor? How can I live in Cuba for a week where they are feeding me ice cream and imperial rice and pork and beef and chicken at every meal. And, and what they get is like a pound of sugar and a pound of coffee and a pound of salt from the government and the rest is like fend for yourself and there's a black market and they broke off relations with Venezuela and everybody's eating mangoes because that's the trees in their backyard, bananas planting because that's the trees in their backyard. They're literally eating off their property and they're feeding us this food that I, I, I assume they're buying off the black market. You say, isn't that a sin? It's like, it tasted so good, I'm not really worried about where it came from. You know what I mean? I just was eating it, and it helps me. But after, the, after they served us and blessed us, and we said, is this your favorite meal? We, had, we had that at holidays. I said, well, is this your favorite meal? And one lady said, the lady who cooked it, she goes, oh, I've never tasted it. We, we can't afford that meal. We're getting ready to get into the bus 
to go to, to a, a resort for 24 hours, and then we could catch the plane out of Havana or whatever it was, Santiago, and back to Fort Lauderdale, back to Detroit. And we, let's go to this all-inclusive whatever. It's, it's ridiculous. And they said, hey, before you go, we have one more thing for you. And universally, Pastor Jason, you're on that trip? Yeah, universally. Thank you for nodding big. I appreciate that. He, uh-huh. And he, they said, we have one more thing for you. We're like, oh, please don't give us anything else. Like, how many guys know there's a difference between being humbled by someone's generosity and being utterly decimated, humiliated? We came here to give, and a hundred to one, we have been outgiven. We thought we were, that you were coming with all of our stuff and all of our spirituality. Well, there's a revival happening in Cuba in the midst of just terrible destruction, terrible oppression, terrible poverty. And in all of that, they welled up to such generosity. They said, we have one more thing to give you. Like, please let it be some stupid little wooden carving. Please let it be like an Elvis on black velvet, you know, canvas, something. Just make it a bad gift, God. We walk into an upper room, the prayer room, the only room that has an air conditioner in it, and there's like a dozen people on the trip. There was a dozen basins of water and a dozen towels and a dozen people there to wash our feet before we left. I walked in. I went, nope. And there's one way up. Say, hey, you're going to, okay, yep. I'm like, please let it be someone with bad breath. Please let it be someone with B.O. Please say anything, God. And it wasn't. It was like the, the pastor's right-hand person because I was the pastor, you know, the honored. Guys, what I'm trying to say is this. They have nothing, including hope that tomorrow will be better. Does this make sense? I've never met people richer in spirit. Why? Because blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. They don't give to get. They give because they've been given to by Jesus. They don't forgive because if they don't, they'll go to hell. They forgive because why would I waste a moment with my Savior being upset with the root of bitterness with man? They, they, they live in such a way that you leave and we look at each other and go like, who's really poor? I, you ever been around somebody that loves Jesus so much you wondered if you're even saved? That happened to me in Cuba. I'm the pastor. I'm the leader of the missions team. Come to change the world. I walked out going, Jesus, I don't even know what's going Like what they have is so much richer than what I've known. Does this make sense? Blessed are the poor in spirit. He goes on to the next thing. Blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. Blessed, happy, prosperous, full, content are those whose hearts are broken because of lack and loss. Why? How is that possible? How is that a true statement? This is why. Because when we find ourselves in a place where only God can comfort us, we look for only God. When we find ourselves in a place where only God can be, like no man has the words. I've been a pastor for a long time. The best advice I can give you when a tragedy happens and you meet someone that it happened to, do not walk up and try to make sense of it. Do not walk up and say, well, sometimes when God wants the sheep to move across the river, he'll take a little lamb, put the lamb on his shoulders and cross the river. And all the other sheep will want to follow. I literally had a little girl die just right in front of me, a little three-year-old girl. And I watched somebody walk up at the funeral and try to make it make sense to her unbelieving parents. How many of you guys know that sometimes the spirit of shut up should just be resting on people? How many of you guys wish you had like a stapler? Come here, give me your lips. Okay, go, go. Sometimes when God wants it, so they literally, the mother looked at the person who said that, said, are you saying that God killed my daughter so I'd be a Christian? You know, you know why she said that? Because that's exactly what the guy said. And she, she, just inter- she just translated it from this country western, 
Christianese into the reality of the agony of her soul, and it didn't help. It actually drove her from God because now God took away her daughters. Does this make sense to you guys? So how are we blessed? How are we happy? How are we full, content, prosperous when we mourn? I, I want you to think about something. We, we weren't created to die. You guys know that or no? Genesis chapters 1, 2, until we get to chapter 3, there's no sense that you'll live a certain age. He says, listen, the day you eat of this, you will surely die. The, the process, the immediate spiritual death took place. The physical death takes place later. But being separated from he who is life by that sin happened instantaneously. And in, in that process of, of the reality of the weight of that sin, they began on that moment to physically die. We were never created to die. We're, we were created in the image of who? And is God alive today, gets old and dies, and another God pops up? No. We were created in his image. We were never created to die. And this is why I say that, because we were created to eat. Somebody say hallelujah. So if I'm hungry, guess what happens? God created cheeseburgers. And, and when my hunger meets God's blessed bacon double-wrapped, oh, it's just breaking up the sound system, isn't it? Right? That, 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 that hunger is satisfied. We're created to sleep. So when I get tired, God created this thing called the nap, the post-turkey coma, and it feels good to nap. And when I wake up, I'm so refreshed, I have that third piece of pie I was wondering about. And now the lines are down 72 to 4. The other team just gave them four by putting in the cheerleaders. Just let them score. We feel bad. It's a holiday. You know what I mean? And I have that fourth piece, third piece, fourth, whatever it is. I'm in a coma now, right? But it's satisfied. If I'm lonely... God can give me friends. God can give me family. God can give me a church. That when someone dies, hear me, God has no mechanism within us to be okay with that. And, and if I could take it just a step farther, because we don't just mourn the loss of life, we can mourn the loss of relationship. We can mourn the loss of season. I, I don't know when my last day of being your pastor will be, sometime in the next 40 years, I assume. But when that day comes, it's not going to be happy for me. I'm going to mourn that that season's over. Our kids can go off to college. And then you go, you mourn the loss of their childhood? I mean, that's what I'm talking about. Like, our hearts can break for a variety of reasons. So how is it that we are blessed? Think of it this way. Losing someone we love, regardless of how we lost them, creates space. Everybody say space. That only God can fill. Dina, come, come join me if you would, please. I want my wife to share a story with you guys in the last few minutes of this. And I, I, said, uh, I told Rob, our piano player, would you come up at the same time too? Only wait until Dina moves because I might say, I want my wife to come up. And if Rob moves first, that might confuse people. I, I just don't want to do that. So she's going to come, and, and this is why. When, when, when our oldest son, Josh, went off to college, you went through a real medical, uh, emotional, psychological. Come on up here on the lights. We're going to see how pretty you are. Went through it, and, and that room we're talking about was created in your life for God to do some work in you. Would you just share that? Yeah, so um, many of you know that when I was a child, I was molested for 13 years. And I spent so much of my childhood just praying, saying, God, if you're real, make him stop. God, if you really care about me, make it, you know. And I remember making a vow to myself because I felt so unprotected by my parents, um, didn't feel seen, didn't, that I made a vow to myself that I will always protect my children. I will always. And um, so fast forward to us um, having a son. And the first thing I said to him is, I will always protect you. There will never be anything that will harm you. And I mean, 
it was one of those where you just lock eyes with each other. And um, so all of his life, I just spent trying my best to protect him and keep him safe. And um, which, I mean, now I know that was not a good idea. But um, the day we took him to college, I remember walking back in his room after the long drive home and I just stood at his room and I'm like I can't protect him anymore I can't do anything for him I don't even know if he goes to bed at night I mean and I went and got in my bed and I did not get out of my bed for months I took a real nose dive and just was totally having a breakdown, a meltdown, because I could not protect my son. And um, I got really sick, like lost a ton of weight very quickly. Um, We didn't know what was going on. We really didn't. Now looking back, I was having a mental breakdown because I couldn't protect my son. Um, I started pursuing several different areas of healing. I was seeing a medical doctor. I was seeing two counselors. I was taking medication. And um, quite honestly, they gave me Xanax, and I would only have to take that when I would come to church. Because every time I came to church, people would come up to me and say, have they checked you for this? Have they checked you for that? Do you know this? Do you know? And it would give me such anxiety that, like, it would take me the whole week to recover. And um, I was so thankful God put some people in my life. Lisa Aller, who was going through a horrible time herself, every night would text me because every night was so bad. Like that sun would start going down, and I would just have these anxiety attacks. Um, Nicole Maddock always had the right words to say at the right time, but it still wasn't what I needed. So I'm on medication. I have friends around me. I have a great husband. And might I also say, somebody said, have you ever read The Shack? That would be a great book for you to read. First panic attack was reading that book because I related with the little girl in that book. And again, I say, where were you, God? Where were you when she got taken? Where were you when I was being molested? Where are you now? Are you with my son? I don't know, because I felt like for my whole life I had been not put in a position where I could trust God because he didn't make it stop as a child. He just let my brother keep abusing me. He didn't bring my parents to rescue me. And it was one day when we were sitting in a counseling session, and thank God for wise counselors who listen to Holy Spirit, because she said, what's the question you want to ask God? And I'm like, oh, no, I'm not doing that. You don't question God. And she's like, no, we do. What's the question you've always wanted to ask God? And you wouldn't. I'm like, I'm not doing that. I'm not having a lightning bolt. I'm already in horrible shape, lady. I'll need that too. She said, no, God's big. And he can take it. You've never asked. Now's the time. And I just started bawling. And I said, God, where were you? 
how can I trust you with my son when I couldn't even trust you with myself? And the tears just started to flow because I started to feel God's presence in a way I'd never felt before. And I can tell you guys, he spoke such healing words in my life. And I could honestly tell you guys what he said to me, but it would honestly upset probably most of you that are in a space right now where only God can speak to you. Because when he spoke to me, everything changed. Everything changed. I started to be able to eat again. I could come back to church. I mean, it wasn't like instantaneously, but my heart healed instantaneously. And I had to walk out the rest of it. And I can tell you guys today, I still go back to that answer. I still ask the question, God, where were you when? You know, God, where were you when they had a miscarriage? God, where were you when his girlfriend broke up? And every time he has an answer now, because God is a big God. He can take the questions you guys have for him because he wants to meet you. He wants to speak to you. Don't be afraid to ask those questions. Ask him, let him speak, and let him heal. Get to that point where he's all you've got to turn to because that's all I had at that point was, God, you're all I know. Stay right here for a second. So blessed are those who mourn. Why? Because God is available in the broken places of our lives in a way we'd never reach out for him if we never realized the pain of that brokenness. Does that make sense? Just close your eyes for a second. If you would, please. Father, I pray. As we open our hearts to you, God. It's our weakness. It's our lack. It's our brokenness that lead us today to the only one who has what we need. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Blessed are you and men revile you and curse you and say all manner of evil against you because of me. All these beatitudes take what we see and it turns it upside down. Because what we thought was weakness was actually just a doorway to be dependent on the one who can carry us, that can heal us, that can restore us. Every person in this room has a pain that can't be healed by medicine. Every person in this room has a question that has to be answered by your voice. Every person in this room has a need that is so profound, so complicated, so painful, so heavy, that only God, only you, can resolve it. Blessed are we. Blessed are we when hunger drives us to the one who can fill us. Blessed are we when sadness brings us to the only one who knows how to speak words of comfort. Blessed are we when our spirits are empty without you and we seek your face. Blessed are we when you, 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 the author, the perfecter of our faith, you are what we have. We'd have never looked. 
would have never gone deep. Dina would have never gone deep into those issues of her childhood unless it came out in a moment of just fantastic agony that didn't allow her to ignore that pain any longer. What was calloused, what was covered, what was locked away to never come out again was brought out, not as an act of cruelty, but as an act of compassion. And every single one of us in this room today, God, we are all raised in orphanages. The orphanage of this world, we're all learning how to have a father. We're all learning how to trust. We're all learning, God. And we pray that today, today, as our hearts are open now, open our eyes to see the inverted image, putting it all right side up. Everything the devil meant for harm, you intend for good. Everything is an opportunity. Every moment, every lack, everything. You don't create sickness. Sickness itself sometimes allows us to search. The woman with the issue of blood spent everything she had, went everywhere she could, and the last moment she reached out to someone who wasn't going too fast for her to reach out to, and you healed her. You healed more than her body that day. You restored her as a daughter. Today, this room has daughters and sons and orphans, and we pray, God, that you would just lead us now. Lead us now. Don't be in a rush here, guys. Don't be in a hurry. Holy Spirit, do a work. What's the question you want to ask God? What do you need him to say to you today? If you're here right now, you're like, man, I, God is, he's a million miles away and it's my fault. I'm the one who pushed him there. I'm the one who ran from him. You think God brought you here today so you could keep running, or you think God brought you here today so you could stop running? Today's not a day of understanding every mystery. Today's a day of just seeing things the way that it really is. God can use all things and work them together for your good. Invert the image. Flip the script. See it the way God sees it. See it from his perspective of eternity. See it from his perspective of a depth that has to come to his people in these last days that won't come because we went to a nice Bible study. It'll come because we went through hell and he went through it with us and brought us out the other side. He wasn't the light at the end of the tunnel. He's the light in your tunnel right now, right here. And I felt like the Lord wanted me to say that, by the way. I don't know who that's for, but I, I, when I was writing this last week, I thought that's, that's a word for somebody. He's not the light at the end of your tunnel. He's the light in your tunnel right now. If you're online right now, if you're listening to this on the radio, if you're watching this on live stream live right now, he's not, he's not the light at the end of your tunnel. He's the light that's in your tunnel. May I suggest to you, you won't make it to the end of your tunnel without his light in your tunnel. So, Father, we welcome the presence of your Holy Spirit into our pain for comfort. We welcome the wisdom of the Holy Spirit into our confusion for peace. We welcome, we welcome, we hunger. We thirst, we mourn, we, 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 we're poor in spirit, but you are rich in all things, God. And as room is made, we pray that you would just indwell that in a way that will never be removed from us. We get to take our stories with us. It's called a testimony. I want to do this final thing. Dina's going to pray over some people here at the very end. But today, like, this isn't a sermon. This is the sermon that you needed to hear. This is where, not where you were or where you might be. This is where you are. I'm going to ask Dina just to pray over those who have a certain courage, a certain hunger, a certain, a certain desperation. This isn't for everybody. It may be for one, and it'd be worth it. It may be for dozens, and it'll be worth it. 
But today, if you're like, this is for me, I, I need it and I need this. I want you to stand to your feet all over this room right now. Don't wait. Don't hesitate. I know I didn't give you time, but I need this. We're going to pray for you in the end. Instead of an altar call, your seat is going to be your altar. I want you to stand right now to your feet. This is for me. This is me. This is here. This is now. Thank you. This is me. This is here. This is now. Thank you. This isn't for some day. This isn't for some other day. This is for me. This is for here. This is for now. I have a need that only God can meet. I'm going to welcome him into my pain. I'm going to welcome him into the darkened closet of my life. I'm going to welcome him. I'm going to hunger and thirst. I'm going to, I'm going to mourn. I'm going to, uh, all these things. I'm going to make so much room for God in my pain that God is going to take away. God is going to be the light in my tunnel. Babe, would you just pray for those? And if you're around people, don't, don't bother them. Don't lay your hands up. Let's all together pray for them right now as Dina leads us. God, you see each and every person standing, Father. You know every hurt that they are having, God. You know every question that they want to ask. God, I pray for just a boldness on them right now, Father, that they would ask, that their ears would be open to hear, God, that um, it would just be so freeing to them, Father God. I pray right now that you would do what only you can do, Father, that, um, God, these people would know that they are not forgotten but, God, that you are close to the brokenhearted. You are with them right now, Father. I pray that you would just circle them with people, God, who can speak life into them, who can encourage them, Father. God, I pray for people like Faye Jones that came and got in bed with me. She said, you're not going through this alone. And she got in bed with me and just hung out. God, I pray that each person standing would have those people. God, I pray for the people that are sitting right now, God, that you would just give them the um, boldness to be that, God, that they would not try to fix them, but they would just be there with them in their pain, God. And Father, I pray that we would be the church, God, that we would comfort each other. But God, most of all, I thank you for you. I thank you for just your voice that speaks to us and brings healing in an instant, God. And I pray right now, Father, that you would have your way in each person, God. And I just thank you again for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, why don't you all stand to your feet since Pastor Kim sat down. Let's make him stand up again. See what happens. This is the way of Jesus. Come on, say it with me. This is the way of Jesus. Right? This is the way of Jesus. May you go in his peace. May you go in his rest. May you go with um, a lack that only he can fill, a pain that only he can comfort, because blessed are you when you mourn, because he'll comfort you. Blessed are you when you're poor in spirit, That's what the kingdom of God is made out of, is people that know what they don't have, but they know who they need. You are blessed. Live long, prosper, and uh, happy Thanksgiving. We'll see you soon.